Well, hello, hello, hello. God bless you and praise the Lord. Welcome to Bible Study Live. Glad to have you with us. Uh, We're going to bow our heads and we're going to pray and then we'll get right into our study. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you and we praise you. We love you. We honor you. We magnify you and we appreciate you for all that you are. All that you mean, God, as we begin to share and talk about healthy church, we ask that you would just strengthen us and bless us and encourage us in all that we do. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have been in the Healthy Church series, and we've been moving right along with that uh, series and uh, seeing what it means to us and how God can uh, bless us and touch us and encourage us to become a healthier version of a church. And so um, healthy humility is where we landed on uh, last Sunday. Now we took some time unpacking that idea. And uh, what we used was from the previous week, which we were discussing how before you can heal thyself, it has to be a self-diagnosis. So we talked about the church in Laodicea, the Laodicean church that we see in Revelation and how they had totally misdiagnosed themselves. But we really didn't discuss why or how. So I wanted to go back to that and coming from a self-diagnosis, I wanted to come from that and uh, explain how we can misdiagnose ourselves. So uh, here was a scripture that we used, uh, uh, Revelations 3.17. We used this the last two weeks. For you say, I'm rich, I have become wealthy, and need nothing. You don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So totally misdiagnosing themselves horribly according to how God's seen it. And so when you look at it from that angle, how God sees it, you wonder how they could have totally misdiagnosed themselves. And so what we decided to do was look at it from this standpoint, that it had to be pride. Pride makes you see things one way when God is seeing them a totally opposite way. The only way you can get to that place, there has to be a level of pride and that has to be that has to be something that we have to really think about and comprehend that pride can get in the way of our view of God and our view of ourselves because we are supposed to be in this church we're supposed to be connecting with our creator continually but what if you are connecting with him but then pride is interrupting the view that you are getting from him. So in other words, when God is showing you, hey, you need to come up to a higher standard or a healthier standard, but your pride totally perverts that and you feel like, oh, I'm okay, I'm fine. But you actually are connecting with your creator continually, but you're so prideful that there is no benefit from your connection. So mentally you think, There's no reason to diagnose myself any differently because I'm fine. I'm okay. I go to church. I pray. I read the Bible. But pride is blocking you from getting any of the benefits from that. And that can be very problematic. When you look at it, even in relationships, there are times people are in a relationship with each other 
and let, let's talk about a marital relationship. One spouse is consistently sharing something with the other spouse. Hey, I need this from you, or I need more of this, or you're dropping the ball in this area. And the person never changes, even after hearing all that information, because pride tells them, oh, it's okay. It's all right. She'll get over it. He'll get over it. It's not that big of a deal, but it's being consistently communicated. No, this is a problem. This is an issue. But pride says it's not. And then when one spouse disassociates itself from the other, says, I can't do this anymore. And many times those people are shocked. Like, what? What's what's wrong? We were fine. Like, no, we weren't fine. I kept communicating to you. We weren't fine. But pride got in the way and it really causes people to misdiagnose themselves. So if it can get in the way between God and humans, it can get in the way between humans and humans. It can get in the way of you self-diagnosing yourself properly. So let's look at a uh, quote here. There is no spirit in man more opposed to the spirit of God than the spirit of pride. So that shows that this is the most opposite, most opposing to God than the spirit. So if you're operating in the spirit and it's blinding you, then you're actually an enemy of God and don't really realize it. The scripture says that the flesh is an enmity against God, is an enemy against God, and it can't be subject to God. It's not subject and it can't be subject. And it's only pride that tricks you to thinking you're operating in the spirit when you're operating in the flesh or in self. So in self-diagnosis, we recognize that self can get in the way. The flesh can get in the way. It can block the flow of the spirit. And so we look at that. We honestly take a diagnosis of that. And then we try to see how we can adjust. But pride blocks you from seeing that. So now you become an enemy of God in the worst way. So there is no spirit in man more opposed to the spirit of God than the spirit of pride. So let's define it then. Pride refers to an unwarranted attitude of confidence. Nothing wrong with confidence, but an unwarranted confidence. It is often used in scripture to refer to, refer to an unhealthy, elevated view of oneself's ability or possessions. So in the case of the Laodicean church, they looked at themselves as high because of their possessions, because of what they had, uh, the wealth that they had. And that is one of the reasons that people have an overinflated view of themselves. It can be, they can be materialistic. They can be focused on their own level of wealth. They can be focused on their own level of education. Wealth comes in s- several different ways. It could be a wealth of knowledge. It could be wealth of resources. Uh, it could be a wealth of relationships. Well, listen, I have so many relationships. So many people know me that I don't really care that my spouse is saying I need to do better because there's, there's several fish in the sea. And that type of mentality really blocks people from doing the work that they need to do. So pride refers to an unwarranted attitude of confidence. All right. Let's look at this scripture here. Now this is Ezekiel 28 and 14. And as you, you look at this scripture, what's interesting about it is it is not necessarily talking about what we would call Satan or Lucifer. It is actually talking about a literal king in uh, the time of Ezekiel that was the king of a country called Tyre. Uh, normally in the scripture, you see Tyre and Sidon. They're very close to each other. So it was a prophetic utterance about this particular human king. 
But as you get into it, you see that it's talking much deeper than the human. It's actually talking about a spirit and it gives us a inclination on the fall of Satan. It gives us an inclination on how he lost his position. It gives us an inclination of the entity called Lucifer. It just, it, it's a glimpse. And so it was a prophetic word about a actual person, but it was deeper than that. Many times the scriptures, they have surface meanings and then they have deeper meanings. And if you can catch the revelation between both, you can uh, see beyond what it's actually just saying. And so uh, because we have no reference of the king of Tyre and what he meant in that time, when we read it, it immediately jumps out to us as the demonic forces, as Satan, as Lucifer. So let's dig into it. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You are on the holy mount of God in the midst of these stones of fire. You walked. Okay. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created, that's very important, till unrighteousness was found in you, which is also very important. So looking at those things together, um, one of the things that we see is that you were, number one, it says you were created. So you had nothing to do with your creation. It says you were blameless. So you were created blameless until until unrighteousness was found in you to the place where there was no righteousness found in you. So, so why, how, what happened? So did the creator create you unrighteous? Well, it couldn't be because remember it says you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. So when you started, you started off blameless Till unrighteousness was found in you. So at some point you shifted it from being the way you were created to what was found in you, which was unrighteousness, which is a far pull from all the way from being blameless to unrighteous. All right. The next verse is this. Your heart was proud. Okay. This, this gives us the answer. It answers the question for us because of your beauty. It answers the question so uh, succinctly and easily for us. It says, you were blameless until unrighteousness was found in you. What was the unrighteousness? You became proud in your heart. Well, why did you become proud in your heart? Because of your beauty. So this even explains it, that when you were created, you were created beautiful. But you get caught up in the beauty, and it went to your heart. Not just to your head, it went to your heart. And it caused you to become proud, as if you were the one who created you beautiful. So... You went from being blameless to unrighteous. And the only thing we see that was wrong is you got prideful, but not just prideful, prideful in your heart and prideful over something that you had nothing to do with. You were prideful over your beauty, but your beauty was given to you. It was the creation of you. And your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Then it corrupted you. You moved into corruption because you were so beautiful, because of your splendor, because of your greatness, because of all that you had, that you had nothing to do with, that God gave it to you. And then it corrupted your wisdom and messed you up. So if your wisdom was corrupted, then you moved into being a fool. You started acting foolishly. And what we know, if we, when we look in Isaiah, we know that he tried to assume the throne of God 
but God was the one who created him. So he got all twisted up, all messed up in his wisdom, all corrupted, and it all came from the spirit of pride. All right, so here's what happened. I cast you to the ground. I expose you before kings to feast their eyes upon you. You lost your place. You had a fall. Now, here's another uh, verse, Proverbs. Proverbs 16, 18 says this. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So there was just a great fall because of pride. And it lets us know that that pride actually goes before instruction. I mean, before uh, destruction and the haughty spirit comes before the fall. So it goes before the destruction and the haughtiness causes you to fall. All right. So having said that, let's switch and transition to humility. So we brought up pride to give us something to contrast a comparison to look at things from uh, two angles. So many times that happens in literature that if we want to make one point, you go to the opposite point to to talk about. It. In other words, if I want to talk about light, we focus on darkness first so that we can talk about light. So in order to talk about healthy humility, we first wanted to look at pride. But now let's look at humility. Humility can refer to a state of being lowly. In this sense, it is the opposite of pride and arrogance. So once again, that is exactly why we went to it, because it's the opposite. Pride is the opposite. And so it's the opposite of pride and arrogance. So um where should we land on? Of course, we want to focus more on humility because we just figured out that pride would be known as the original sin. It's the sin that caused Satan to fall. And then he becomes angry with the earth, angry with us and all the attacks that we have is simply because he got kicked out. But the only reason why he got kicked out was because of his pride. So pride has caused all kinds of issues and troubles when we when we think of it. So obviously we want to be on the opposite end of that spectrum. All right. So let's look at Matthew eleven twenty nine. Here's a, a good scripture. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Now here, here's a key. I'm meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. So this is a contrast as well, a major contrast. So we had pride versus humility, but now we're actually looking at Jesus. And so even though Ezekiel was talking about the king of Tyre, we see deeper, it was really talking about Satan and the spirit of Satan and how he fell. And so we know that he was created one way. Pride messed him up because pride was in his heart and he got all messed up and he fell. We just shared that with you. Well, what when you come over here and look at Jesus, sometimes what you forget about Jesus is that Jesus was in the beginning in the creation. The Bible says all things were created through him. God is the creator, but he used the son. And so if the son could or if anybody could have been prideful, it could have been the son more than Satan because Satan was created through the son. So the blamelessness and the beauty that he was created with, it was done with the son. But when you see hear the son talk versus what was spoken of Satan, it's totally different. Satan had pride in his heart. But let's go back and look at what it said of the son. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. So he's trying to teach. 
for I am meek or gentle, not weak, but gentle and lowly in heart. Satan was proud in heart. He was lowly in heart or he was humble in heart. And ye shall find rest unto yourselves. Actually, I'm just trying to get people to find rest in me. I want you to be yoked up with me, linked up with me, but linking up with me. I'm only trying to provide rest because I'm gentle. And at the deepest point of me in my heart, I am humble. I'm lowly. Total contrast with what we see in Satan. So. Let's look at Philippians 2, 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem the other better than themselves. All right, let's look at this. That was King James. Let's look at in the English standard. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So when Jesus was talking about him being meek and lowly, he says, because I want you to come to me to find rest for your souls. So really my humility is so that I can help someone else. My whole focus is take my yoke upon you. Take what I have, link up with me, and I'm going to provide the rest that you need. So my humility is really based on others. I'm humbling myself for the sake of others. When uh, Satan rose up in pride. He said, I will, I will, I will, I will ascend above the throne of the most high. It was all I, 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 me, me, me. But Jesus was you, 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 us, 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 we, we, we. And so when you look at this verse again, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. In other words, focus on other people. Verse four, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So this actually explains it even uh, more succinctly. So it's not that you never care about yourself. It's just that you are inclusive of others. You're not so self-focused that you don't think about others. Now, as we've been talking about heal thyself and healthy self and self-diagnosis, the only reason why we're talking about that is so that we can build a healthier church. So the purpose of looking at self is really so that the collective can be benefited. So it's not being selfish and selfish ambition and conceit. It's actually focusing on taking care of self enough so that other people can be blessed. In other words, it's humbling myself to know I've got some issues within myself that need to be healed, but I'm not healing myself just so I can say, look at me, look at me. I'm healing myself so that I can benefit the others, so I can benefit the collective. So really, that type of self-look is really about humility. In other words, I have to humble myself to be honest with myself, to say myself needs healing in several areas. And so I'm going to avail myself to this healing so that I can heal. But I'm not just trying to show up and say, look at me, I got healed. I'm trying to say, I'm so grateful that healing is available to me because I want to take this healing and I want to use it to help the entire group. In other words, I don't want to bring the group down. I want to elevate the group up. So I'm going to heal myself. But my focus is other people, not just me. So, but also to the interests of others. All right, Romans 12, 16. So this 
uh, ties it all together. Live in harmony with one another. Ah, remember the old statement that hurt people, hurt people, and healed people, heal people. So the only way I can live in harmony with others is I have to be healed. Another way I can be healed, I have to take a good look at myself, but I'm not looking at myself for selfish ambition and conceit. I'm looking at myself so I can heal and then I would be healing for other people because the whole goal is to live in harmony with other people, not to be fighting and battling and, and tearing each other down. One scripture says, if you bite and devour each other, you're all going to be consumed. No, it's really about harmony and about love. So let me go back to this verse. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Now, when we talked about uh, Satan, it says that he be, his wisdom became corrupted. When you become wise in your own sight and you start misdiagnosing yourself, you start messing things up. So it says never do that. But actually, we're trying to work together. We're trying to live in harmony. Let's go back to the verse. But associate with the lowly. So actually associate with the lowly. So how can we associate with the lowly? We first understand the places where we are low. And then that helps us identify with the lowly. But we also, with empathy, walk in lowliness. In other words, okay, I may not have ever been as low as you, but I know it could be me. So I'm going to associate with you to raise you up, to lift you up, because I understand it's only a few coincidences, choices that could switch me from being where you are and you from being where I am. So I'm not going to be haughty about where I am. I'm actually going to associate with the lowly. I'm going to understand the places where I'm low, where I've been low. And I'm also going to look at where you are low and realize I could be there too. And so I'm willing to get with you, which is what Jesus did. He came all the way from heaven and uh, landed in the manger, so to speak, even though he was king of kings and lord of lords, but he was born to die. He was born to walk the lowly road so that he could lift us all up, raise us all up. He was raising from the dead, but it was supposed to raise us all up because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is accessible to us. So he became low. He associated with the low. He walked the lowliest of lows so that all of us who've ever been low can know we can rise back up. All right. Having said that, let's move to this uh Focus, pride equals unhealthy, humility equals unhealthy. So we, we looked at how healthy humility is, and we looked at how unhealthy pride is, but we begin to share that that's not the end of the story. And here's the reason why. Because, uh, let's, let's give this quote first. Humility is the ornament of angels, pride the deformity of devils. So we showed how how the demonic spirit, it really started off with Satan, and so pride is very demonic. And then humility is more angelic. It's more like the things of God. But then we turn this corner to share that there is a healthy form of pride and there is an unhealthy form of humility. So what we didn't want to do was only look at it from the standpoint of pride equals unhealthy and humility equals healthy. 
because that's a surface understanding and it's something we should already know. So we didn't want this to be the major takeaway from the sermon. We only wanted this to be the halfway point. We wanted to share this so that you knew it, but we I'm also understanding that you should have already known that. So let's dig deeper than what we already know, especially when it comes to studying the Bible. Let's not just look at the surface things. What else can we learn? Uh, are there any twists? Are there any turns that we can take? Because if we look at things through so many angles, that's when we really begin to grow. And so never just look at it for its brass tacks, so to speak, or or it's just one level of understanding. What else can you learn? What else can can you see? And so having said that, we begin to just look at the idea that, okay, let's be honest that healthy, there's a healthy form of pride. So let's give an example of a healthy form of pride. Here it is. I'm proud of you. When people say I am proud of you, it brings you great joy uh, to have someone proud of you, of the work that you've done. When you are healing, when you're going from trauma to health. People see you and they're like, hey, I'm proud of you. So there is a healthy form of pride. And so you can have pride in yourself. You can have pride in uh, other people. You can have pride in your heritage. You can have pride in um, your the, what you've done raising your kids. You can have pride in the deliverance that you that you come from. You can have pride in a lot of things. And as long as it's, it's not a pride that corrupts your wisdom not a pride that causes unrighteousness to come to you, then it actually is a good place. And so if there's a good place in pride, there also is a negative place in humility. So let's look at uh, a further definition of humility that can explain it. Humility can refer to a state of being, generally lowness in status, rank, or economic means. In this sense, humility is the opposite of importance or which I actually can't see that that well let me see what it says or wealth or importance or wealth so to explain that uh, even better what happens in life is the certain trials and things of your life they can bring you low but in that relatively lowness you can actually get stuck because humility is humbling yourself and bringing yourself low. But when circumstances humiliate you, then you can get stuck in that place and lose hope because there are certain trials, troubles, obstacles, problems that can make you so low that you look at how far you have to go and you lose the passion to move forward. You lose your hope. So it talked about economically. So when you don't have wealth or you're broke or things happen and you need things done and you cannot make ends meet and you're working hard, we, we have what they call in America, we have the working poor, which are people who go to work every day but their expenses are so exorbitant that they're just paycheck to paycheck living. They can't ever come out of poverty because of the way the system is set up and they are low. And that can be very debilitating. It can rob you of your pride. It can rob you of your sense of self-worth. 
I worked all these hours and all it did was barely keep a roof over my head, barely keep uh, food on my table. I got to wait until uh, the food stamp card reloads. And now food is so much higher than normal. Gas is so high. So it just makes you feel helpless. But what can happen is you can take on that identity, but we should have our identity in Christ. And remember, I've said this, I've been using this Latin phrase a lot. It's a phrase that just is a simple English phrase, but I just wanted to share the Latin phrase with you. You are the imago Dei. Imago Dei is the image of God. Imago meaning image, Dei meaning deity, which is God. You are created in the image of God. So that ought to invoke a certain sense of pride in who you are. I may be in a low state, but I'm looking at that state as temporary. I'm looking at it as momentary, and I'm not allowing it to define who I am because I am the image of God. I was created blameless, just like uh, Lucifer. I was created special as well. Now, because of what has happened, I've come into a fallen world and the systems are fallen. The education system's fallen. The economic system has fallen. So it is dark. It is sinful. And because sometimes I cannot win in this system doesn't make me a bad person. It speaks more to the system than it speaks to me. So what I do, I do the best that I can and I don't allow an unhealthy system to make me unhealthy. Racism is unhealthy, but your hatred of me doesn't change my view of me. I know who I am and I know whose I am. Not only was I created by God, when the world fell, I was purchased by God through the blood of his own son. So I belong to God. So even though my state may feel low, I'm not going to be so humiliated. Yes, I will humble myself. I will walk in humility, but I will not allow life circumstances to humiliate me where I don't think that there isn't any light at the end of the tunnel, that there isn't any hope, that I can never rise, that I can never spring up, that I can never bounce back. I have a confidence that the God that I serve is still in control of my life and the affairs of my life, and I'm yielding myself to him. And so if you try to devalue me, you have the problem not me. If you're going to hate me and belittle me, you're the one who needs to be healed, not me. I have a healthy view of myself because I view myself in light of the imago day, in light of the fact that I'm created in the image and the likeness of God. And because of that, I can always bounce back. I can always move forward. I can always recover. I can always overcome. I am more than a conqueror. I'm the head and not the tail. So when you get stuck in a humility that is unhealthy, it is actually pride in the reverse. In other words, you are so focused on you that you're not looking at God. But when you begin to look at God, you can tell Satan, yes, you may have the advantage now, but I will win. I can win. I have won in the past and I will continue to win in the future. That's when you switch from not arrogance, but to competence. Now, this is something that I did not uh, share on 
Sunday morning, but I thought of it and I thought I should share it in, in Bible study. So, um, for you who are sports fans would know, and some of you who are not, you can just listen to the story. So, uh, there's a man named Deion Sanders and Deion Sanders who played both football and baseball at a high level was very good. He be, he got the nickname prime time and he was flashy and people thought he was arrogant. Even I thought he was arrogant growing up because the, the flashy and he was built for the prime time. In other words, he was saying whenever the, the, the biggest stage is set, that's when I shine. I am prime time. I'm, I'm built for this time. But as you begin to listen to him, he would say that this is not arrogance. This is confidence. I put the work in. And so when the stage is set, I show up and I show out. I have God-given ability, God-given talents. I've done the work that I need to do. I've listened to my coaches. I'm coachable. I've humbled myself when I'm supposed to humble myself. But when I get on that field and I'm facing the opponent, I'm not super humble. No, I know who I am. And I know the work I put in. And I dare you to stop me. I dare you to say that I can't do what I'm going to do. And he would consistently win. So fast forward to this day and age, he's now a coach. And so he went from a HBCU, a historically black college university, and he turned their program around. And then he went to what they call a power five conference, which is the big leagues, so to speak. And people said he cannot do it. They said he would fail. And so when he showed up, he showed up with a lot of confidence. Again, they called him arrogant. And he told when he showed up to his new team, he said, anybody who wants to leave can leave. He said, we want dogs. And he wasn't talking about them negatively, but in sports saying someone is a dog is someone who's going to go after it. They're like a pit bull. They're not going to let go. He said, I only want dogs on my team. I only want people who want to win. When he took over the program last year, they were one in 11. So they won one game and lost 11. So he says, you guys may think you're great, but evidently something's wrong. Because all y'all did was lose and you were okay with losing. So if you're going to be okay with losing, you can actually disassociate yourself from the program. You can transfer. I won't stop you. And people talked about him because one of the things that happened, a lot of white players left. So here's this brashy, prideful black player just showing up. I mean, black coach showing up, bringing some players from the black college and they're on the big stage and he's telling these other people who've already been here, they can go home. But he's like, we believe I know what I'm doing. I've been coaching ever since the kids were little. I, I didn't just start coaching today. I've been coaching forever. And I played for 14 years in the big leagues. I know what I'm doing. I've got a proven track record and I'm here to win. And so many people didn't believe in them. They wrote stories about them. So fast forward to last Saturday, he's supposed to take his team, Colorado, and they're supposed to play TCU. TCU was in the national championship last year. So out of all the college teams, they were number two. They didn't win the championship. They made it. So that shows you how good of a team they were. So here's this team that Dion has that was 1-11 last year. So they were already favored to lose some teams are favored to win. They were pegged to lose. They were pegged to lose by at least 21 points. 
But instead of losing, they go in there and they win and they win by three points. His son breaks the school record by the most passing yards for Colorado ever. So when the press conference comes and they're talking about him, he reminds them, no, you didn't believe. I heard what you said. I heard what you talked about. And some people think, well, when you win, you should be more humble. No, he's still humble, but he has confidence to say, I told you, I know what I'm doing. I told you we come to win. I told you that I was built for this. I'm called to do this. So let me switch it out of the Dion story and let me talk about you. Who's talking about you? Who's laughing at you? Who's saying that you can't win? You can't make it. You don't know what you're doing. And I'm not talking about real human people. I'm talking about demonic forces that have arrayed themselves and set themselves against you and called you a loser and called you a failure and said you couldn't do it. When you win, don't you stick your head in the sand. Let them demons know. Let them devils know. Yeah, I know you were laughing. I know I was broke and you said I wouldn't make it out. I know I was single and you said I would never get married again. I know you said I would never get over the addiction, but here I am. And with God's help, I'm healed. I'm whole and I'm happy about it. And I'm not going to shy away from it. I'm going to tell the world that God did it. And I worked with God. We worked together and I'm healthy and I'm moving. And this isn't the last time you're going to see me elevate. I'll elevate again. I'll go further than I've ever been. I will end up in heaven one day. I am saved. I am uh, a child of God. I am. So in other words, there is this level of confidence that is not arrogance. It's confidence in knowing I put the work in and with the help of God, I have arrived and I don't plan on stopping. I'm moving forward. I'm pushing. So you're not arrogant with people, but you're confident in who you are. And so don't get stuck in an unhealthy humility where you feel like, oh, woe is me. No, we're rising out of that and we're rising to every occasion when we can. So let's let's uh, move to this quote. Humility is to make a right estimate of oneself. It is no humility for man to think less of himself than he ought. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, he sums everything up that I'm trying to say. It's not humility to think lower of yourself than you should. Having the right balance of view of yourself, that is what we want. And that is healthy. That is healthy humility. All right. So healthy humility is not thinking too high of yourself nor thinking too low of yourself, but having a healthy balance. That's all we're teaching and preaching. That healthy balance, being confident when you need to be confident, being low when you need to be low. And giving God all the credit in between that balance is what's going to make us healthy in as it relates to our humility, not walking in pride, walking in humility, but the right level of humility, not going too much, not going too low. I talked about on Sunday morning how um, in I, I, the Lord gave me this idea in in your car, your fuel tank. It is set to where it cannot overflow. In other words, you can't fill it up too much. Now, it, it can trickle out of the vehicle, but the pump itself, it has a, a shutoff point. If you stick the uh, gas hand in there and you just let it run automatically, it'll stop because it can go. It won't go too much. Once it's full, it'll stop. But it can get too low. You can actually run out of gas. So it's your job to fill it up 
but the way it's designed, it's not going to go too high, but it will go too low. Same thing with our humility and pride. God will govern you if you allow him and he won't let you go too high. But if you want to go too low, he's not going to stop you. If you want to walk in low lowliness, he's not going to stop you. That's up to you. It's your job. It's your job to keep your gas tank from going on empty. It's the fuel tank's job to keep it from going too far past uh, full and flooding it. So you got to do your part. God's going to do his part. All right. Here's another point that we wanted to finish with. So how does this benefit the church? Because remember, the whole point is healthy church. Even though we've been talking about self, 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 we're really the focus is others. And it's the focus is the church and the overall body of Christ, the local church, which is us and the larger body of Christ. So we're trying to become healthier as the body of Christ. We're starting with individuals, but the, still the focus is the collective. So how does this benefit the church? So here's the answer to that. It stops the wrong people from stepping up and helps the right people to stop sitting down. At some point, Deion Sanders said, I'm going to go up to the big leagues. I'm in the, the HBCU. I'm in the black college. I'm doing it on this stage. But I, I, I believe we can do it at a higher level. There are other people who are going up to the higher level that have no business going up to the higher level. And then there are other people who should be at the higher level, but they're like, well, you know, I don't know what people say about me. Now, Dion, he got talked about because he left the black college and went and then they were like, oh, you just went for more money. You, you, you are already a millionaire. And so here you are leaving these, this black college and you're going higher. But he felt like he had a higher calling. So he stepped up. So sometimes people stay back because they're afraid of what people might say. Can't worry about that because we need the right people stepping up and we need the wrong people sitting down. We need the people who should not be up front to take a back seat and the people who should be up front to step up. So when you become healthy and you understand that, oh, I'm stepping up because of pride, let me sit down. And then you you have other people saying, you know what, I've been hiding back because I'm trying to be hum- uh, to be humble and walk in humility, but I'm doing too much. I'm actually in humiliation. I, I, I've gone too low. I'm in an unhealthy form of humility. I need to step up. I need to rise to the occasion. And so what it does, it puts the right people in the right places. And one tragedy in leadership is the wrong people want to lead. We, we see it in our political arena. The wrong folk want to run for political office because of what it does for them and their brand. We need some of those people to sit down and we need other people stepping up. We got people who are obviously too old for the office and they just keep Keep going up because of the power they have. We need them to sit down. If the people will not stop electing them, we need them to just help us and retire, sit down, let new blood step up. So what it does as it relates to the church and life in general, it gets the right people in the right places. Here's a verse to uh, go with it. I have seen servants upon horses and princes walking as servants upon the earth. And so this was Solomon. Uh, this is from uh, Solomon in Ecclesiastes. He's saying, I've seen things backwards. I've seen the people who should be elevated. I've seen them walking. And the people who should be walking, I've seen them elevated. So we got to get this ship turned around right. And as it relates to the church, we got to get the right people, the right places. We got people who should be preaching. 
that are sitting back. And we got people who shouldn't be preaching that are up preaching and need to be sitting down because they have an overinflated view of themselves, but the other people have an underinflated view of themselves. And and it's going to help both people. The person who is uh, in the wrong position, when they get in the right position, things are going to work well for them. It's going to be better for them. And the person who is sitting down trying to avoid the spotlight, well, the devil knows what you have, so he's attacking you like you're a king anyway. So you might as well start walking like a king. It, just because you're a prince walking on the ground don't mean that the devil's going to attack you any less. So if he's going to attack you like that, go ahead and get on the horse. Go ahead and get in the chariot and act like who you're supposed to be. So healthy humility is balanced. It has the right people in the right places. And then that benefits the church overall. So finally, a healthy church has healthy humility. All right, let's uh, bow our heads and let's get ourselves ready for uh, prayer. Thanks again for tuning in to our Bible study live. So let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, we honor you, and we appreciate you. There's nobody like you. Nobody compares to you. We love you dearly. You are so great to us. Let us be the people we need to be. Let us humble ourselves in the right way, never getting too high, never getting too low, but balance. Balance is the key to life. It's the key to our existence, and it's the key to walking in the anointing, the glory, and the power that you have for us. We thank you for it, and we love you. In Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you all. Have a great, wonderful, and a marvelous week until we meet again. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching. God bless you and have a wonderful evening. And also, we'll see for Family and Friends Day, Sunday morning, 10 a.m., 1030, live. God bless you.